One thing to announce as we kind of kick off this new year, we are heading into another season where we are seeking to fulfill God's purpose for us. Our mission statement here, read it with me, it's on your screens. It says this, we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Now read it with a smile on your face, all you mopies, here we go. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. This is our greatest call in life, spiritually speaking, in all of life speaking. We are here to glorify God with this life he's given us. And we do that by being disciples who make disciples. Would it surprise you to know that most disciple making happens in the context of relationship? Now sure, you can grow on your own, But most of the time, when we grow in our faith, it's because we got with someone else who's following after our Father, and uh, we link arms with them, submit to them in uh, a relationship where they can hold us accountable and we can hold them accountable, and we move forward in our own personal relationships with Jesus Christ. Now, we uh, do that principally around here through a machine called Life Groups. I say machine, it's not a machine. It's, a, uh, it's a, a connection point where uh, uh, we, uh, in life, um, commit to each other uh, to grow and follow uh, hard after our God. Uh, so I've been a part of life groups here for the 18 years that I've been a, a part of our church. Uh, my Thursday morning life group is 17 years old. We've gotten, all of us who are still a part of it, um, older in that time. But we've also been blessed by what cannot happen otherwise if you're not in life with each other for that amount of time. The, the, the commitment to and the familiarity with each other to where we can pray for, encourage, admonish. Uh, that's what life groups are all about. So if you're not in one, uh, once more, at uh, the end of our month, uh, here on the weekend of the 28th and 29th, you're going to have a chance to connect. You can already start looking at our website for uh, groups that might fit your schedule and your stage of life and interest. Uh, There's almost 100 groups that you can be a part of here at our church. And so we want you to go from being kind of, you know, an hour, uh, an hour long participant in a room where you face forward or on a screen where you kind of watch me while you're eating your Cheerios or whatever you're eating right now. Um, We'd love for you to be in life with other people and we do that through life groups. All right, can I preach at you? Doesn't matter if you say yes, here we go. Uh, we are three weeks into a, a week or a year together, uh, and we're studying this book of 1 Samuel. And we come today uh, to what is uh, a common routine of return for people in life to God in Scripture. You're going to see this on all the pages, not all of them, but a lot of the pages of the Old Testament, a lot of pages of the New Testament. Here's our bent as humans. We leave God, we realize that's dumb, and then we return to God. God rescues us, and, uh, and then uh, restores us to life with him. Familiar theme in Scripture? Anybody with me on that? We're going to see it play out today in the story of Samuel as he begins his life of leadership in Israel. Uh, but it reminds me of just like the common routines that you and I do every day. Did anybody wake up today and do parts of a routine that are your day every day? Like who started with coffee? Anybody start with some coffee? You need coffee, brother. You need coffee. Yeah, I start with coffee. I, I, I told you this before, but I didn't drink coffee until my 50th year, and I've been trying to make up for lost time since I, <laughs> since I started. And I've got this whole system for my coffee. I'm a cold brewer. Thank you very much. Please, that's too much. Um, I, I brew it in my fridge. I get up, and I got this whole cupboard of coffee stuff 
that is my cup of coffee. I put this in and this in, and I mix it with this, and that's how I start my day. I uh, look forward to doing it again and again during my day, but that's beside the point. Turn to someone next to you, talk about what one of your key routines are in life. What is your necessary routine for life to go well during your day? Share it with them, go. I'm always curious at the people who are laughing as a result of this exercise. <laughs> what routines are they speaking of? Uh, most of us got up this morning and went through a bathing routine of some sort. If you're here and you didn't, we still love you. But uh, perhaps you grabbed a bottle of this for some of your cleansing needs. The follically challenged among us, maybe not so much, but... Uh, the rest of us who needed to wash our hair had this. I'd like to let you know that your pastor uses Dove Men Care, fortifying shampoo and conditioner. Shampoo for men. It was the cheapest thing at Sam's. But here's what we got on the back. What we got on the back are the directions. Did you know every item you buy comes with directions? Your toothpaste, your shampoo, everything comes with, here's how you use this. If you're new to the planet or bathing, here's your instructions. Uh, it used to be four things. They've condensed it to three. Uh, the first one would, uh, used to be wet your hair. Now they just say it this way. Apply this product to wet hair. Good, good note. It works better if your hair's wet. Anybody want to know that? The, what's the next one? Starts with L. Lather. And then what's the last one? Starts with R. Oh, good, because if you go out, Tobin, if you go out and you haven't rinsed off your hair, it's just going to look weird, right? Can we all agree? you've got suds in your hair, it's going to be a bad day. Just a simple routine like that. Like I said, we've come to a, I'm going to put this down here. We've come to a simple routine uh, that appears over and over again in scripture. And because it's kind of cold, I thought we'd kick off uh, the third week of our year together doing some motions. Can you stand up with me? We're going to watch. Yeah, Ricky, we're doing them. Don't give me that face, Ricky. <sighs> Every time. Four things that we're going to see today. We're only going to get the three of them, but I'm going to give you all four because they're fun. The first one is this. Over and over in Scripture, we see people who have strayed from God returning to him. So they, they kind of get, everybody's got to do this. Everybody gets all balled up into themselves. I can do this life without God. I'm, I'm okay, just me, myself, and I. But then we realize, no, that's not going to work. And so we go from here and we return. Right? So let's try that again. Bad, we're all by ourselves, we don't need God. Good, we return, right? And we're gonna see that happen today in Israel. God, everybody, keep your hands up, what are you doing? Keep your hands up. God, who is reaching down to us, then rescues us, say that. So we start out, we're down here by ourselves without him, and we return to our God. And then God in his goodness rescues us from wherever we've been without him. And then this is a part that we often forget in God's rescue and our return. We need to make a record. We need to remember. Point to those temples. Hit that brain spot and say, we need to remember. So we start here. We go, oh, I don't need God. I don't need him at all. But then we return to him and God says, oh, I love this. So I'll rescue you. God rescues. And then we remember what God has done for us. And then the final thing that God does, and I couldn't think of a, of a motion for this. So just everybody make a hamburger patty. And then, ah, you don't have to do the, uh, it's just one more time. Here we go. Voila. Yeah. 
uh, God restores. So the, the first, one more time, everybody online, everybody do this with me, here we go. We are all by ourselves, but then we figure out this is wrong and we return to God and God in his infinite mercy and love. He, God rescues, are you saying this with me? God rescues us and then as, as we experience his rescue and victory, we need to remember what he's done on our behalf and then as God continues to work in our lives, we are restored to life with him. Sit down, that was fun, you did okay. Ricky, it's over, you're done. Quit your whining. All right, uh, we're just gonna watch this pattern unfold again and again in scripture, but here in the passage that we're studying today. If you're kind of catching up with us, uh, Samuel's this guy, uh, he is given to the service of God by his mother, Hannah, who had him uh, as a result of God miraculously enabling her to become pregnant. Um, he's grown up in the, the house of the Lord in Shiloh. He's had some lousy uh, mentors, a guy named Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, they were the high priest and the, uh, the priests of Israel. God's removed them from leadership so that Samuel can take their place. Uh, he has grown now to the... Uh, to the age where he is an adult, he is a man, and he's called out of a time where Israel has been in captivity, um, ruled over by the Philistines after being defeated by them some 20 years before. Uh, he's, he's been brought to the fore as their high priest, their prophet, and their judge, and he begins to execute those offices here in the story of chapter 7. We started last week in Israel, was figuring out, oh, this is no good. And they decide to return to their God. And they cry out to him, it tells us, in verse 3. And Samuel leads them through the steps of repentance. And we talked about those in greater detail last week. You can watch it online. But this week, we're going to see it kind of fleshed out in greater detail as he walks them through a special service of restoration. So let's go. Here we go. Those four things are what we're going to see in our text. First of all, Israel returns. Verse 5 of 1 Samuel chapter 7 says that Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah. Mizpah is a Hebrew uh, word that it loosely translated means watchtower. Um, scholars think that there was probably this high peak uh, among the mountain ranges uh, near where uh, uh, Samuel and Israel was uh, called to. And, and they went to this watchtower site. Uh, and, and Samuel says, there I will pray to the Lord for you as is his duty as the high priest of Israel. I was reading this week and was reminded uh, that there's a book in our New Testament it's called Hebrews. It's written to Jewish Christians in the first century uh, who had come out of the Jewish faith and into faith in Jesus, but were considering returning to who they had been before uh, as Jews, and, and the writer of Hebrews, we're not sure who it is exactly, but just writes this, you know, chapters-long dissertation, this, this argument as to why that's crazy. Why would you leave what you've been given in Christ for what was not working in the faith that you had as Jewish followers? And, and they talk about all the offices in the Jewish faith, and one of them was high priest. And he says, guys, we don't need a, a, a human Jewish priest anymore. We've got one. His name is Jesus. And he is, this is one of the things it says in chapter 7 of Hebrews. It says that Jesus is currently, constantly interceding for us, just like a priest would do uh, back in the Jewish faith, or if you came out of Catholicism and all these other things, the, the priest, the human priest, is no longer necessary because we have the Son of God as our priest, and he intercedes on our behalf constantly, defending us to the Father and saying, uh, you know, Keith is with me. Keith has faith in me, and, and, and 
I, I want to speak to you of Keith or whoever else, uh, of his life with, with you. Uh, Samuel's going to be a, a good prayer warrior for Israel and intercede on their behalf. And uh, as, as we get going this morning, it just uh, before I even launch into the rest of the story, it just reminds us how important prayer is in this life with God. I hope you pray for yourselves, for your family members. Anybody done that recently? Anybody bowed their head? I mean, we all prayed a couple different times this morning as we got going. Uh, but prayer should just be this thing that happens without ceasing. It should be the, the attitude of our hearts, the, 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 the direction of our minds should be, God, help me with this. God, lead me in this. God, glorify yourself through me in this. We should be constantly at prayer for ourselves. And then certainly for those that God loves. Because many of those that God loves, and even us sometimes, we're far from him. We're like Israel. I don't need God. And, and there needs to be a return in the lives of those that you know and love. I don't know if you have it as a, a matter of uh, daily uh, purpose to, to pray for those who are far from God. You should. In fact, let me just give you one of your first walking away uh, jobs this week. I want you, if you haven't been, to start praying for people that you know are far from God, whether in utter rebellion or just in like, you know, disenchanted uh, dormancy, whatever. Start praying for people who aren't following hard after God. Make a list of who those are. Is everybody picturing someone? I started talking about people who aren't following God, and you knew exactly who it was. It was your son. It was your daughter. It was your husband. It was your spouse, wife. It was uh, someone you know from where. You know exactly who God wants you to pray for. Pray for him, please. But can I give? That's the JV assignment. Can I give you the varsity assignment? The varsity assignment is this. Ask God if there's someone in that list of people that you're praying for that you need to have a conversation with. Because, like I just told you a little bit earlier, uh, God usually works through relationships, people on people, life on life. And when things head in a different direction, it's often because some follower of Jesus had the courage to finally say something who needed to follow Jesus, and they did. I'm standing in front of you, preaching on this third Sunday in January of 2023, because somewhere in the calendar in 1988... I met Mickey, and Mickey was this dude who lived on the floor of this Bible school that I went to, and uh, I, I remember being introduced to Mickey. I heard him first. I didn't see him. I heard him. He was singing in the dorm showers that we all shared, and I thought, who is that? Now, he sang great. He's beautiful vocalist, but most of the guys on my floor weren't singing in the shower. Are you with me? And I was like, I'm st whoever that is. I'm staying away. This is not something I want to be involved with. No singing in the shower. Uh, Mickey was uh, almost 30 years old. He came to Christ super late in life and had uh, uh, always been involved in music and, and since God leading him to become a music minister, which he eventually did. So he, he went to Bible school super late in life so he could learn some of the things that would help him do that. And uh, other than me knowing I didn't want to know him, <laughs> Uh, I, I became uh, involved in a friendship with him through food. That might surprise you looking at me, but uh, I played basketball uh, all four years that I was in college and would often miss the evening meal because our practices would go long and, and so I couldn't get to the dining hall in time and so I needed to eat. And uh, Mickey had uh, irritable, bowel, irritable bowel syndrome. It's probably a TMI there, but uh, he couldn't eat the food at the cafeteria so he cooked his own on our floor in the kitchen uh, in, the, in the lounge area. And, and so I remember one night just smelling. He cooked chicken and rice and had some bagels with it. And it didn't matter. It could have been, you know, uh, 
baked flip-flops. I, I, I was so hungry uh, that, I, that I just, I, I smelled the food. I went in and it's like, mm, it's the singer. Oh, but I'm so hungry. Um, and, and so I just kind of stood there. Anybody ever been hungry for something? And you're just like, if I stay in here long enough, maybe they'll feed me. And that's what happened. He says, you want some? I was like, oh, I don't, well, sure, yeah, I'll have some. And, uh, and I started eating Mickey's food regularly. And our friendship began. Uh, our friendship uh, was kind of awkward in the beginning, as most friendships kind of are. Um, but the more I trusted him and appreciated him for what he gave to me, the more I was willing to listen to him. And he started, listen, Mickey loved Jesus in ways that I did not. Mickey was fired up about our, our Savior in ways that I hadn't been yet. And God used Mickey to kindle in me a desire to know him. He challenged me, right? The singer challenged me in my walk with Christ. And literally, through him and others like him, my wife amongst them, others, um, I stand before you, if I'm any kind of Christian at all, as a result of other people uh, being emboldened by the Spirit and having the courage to say something to me. Okay, look at me. I get up here and yell at you guys every week. There's someone in your life that needs yelling in a good way. They need poking. Uh, tells us in Hebrew that we should seek to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Now, it's great that we pray for people. Talk to them as God leads and see if you might be someone's Mickey in life. It says in 1 Samuel that uh, Samuel called all of them to Mitzpah. And uh, Israel did. They gathered there at Mitzpah, verse 6, and they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said uh, there at that place, we have sinned against the Lord, more repentance. God, we, we were here. We, we, we didn't want you. We didn't follow you, but we want to return to you. And Samuel led them in that process. Um, scholars disagree. It's one of the only times, I think the only time in the Old Testament uh, that as a sign of submission, people poured out water. Uh, uh, most scholars that I read this week think it's just kind of coupled with the fasting of food. You know, we're, we're spilling out our water. We're not eating our food. We're not taking in what we would normally sustain ourselves with here on earth because we want you to know that you are our key sustainer and that we look to you for what we lack. That's why you fast when you fast. Certainly it's so that you can have some time over your regular scheduled meal opportunities to pray and, and focus more in on God. But it's also this symbol of saying, you know what, food, uh, these earthly sustainers, they're not primary, they're not ultimate. Uh, God is my sustenance, he sustains me. And I look to him for what I lack. They say, we've, we've sinned against you. And it says there at the end of verse 6 that Samuel judged the people of Israel there at the watchtower at Mitzpah. It doesn't mean that he stood there and he's like, tisk, tisk. Judge here is, is an office. If, if you go back a little bit in your Bibles, you'll read the book of Judges. And men and women at, at certain times in Israel's history would be called on by God to rise from the ranks and lead Israel uh, against an enemy or out of some calamity. And, and, and they were... Um, kind of sheriffs, uh, heroes, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and they judged over Israel, ruled over Israel, led Israel, and that's what Samuel becomes in the story of Israel at this time. So he prays for a people who are returning to God, 
We should pray for those who are far from him. We should be willing to speak to those who need us, by God's grace, to say what needs to be say, said. Um, we focused on them. Uh, I know some of them are here right now. Um, you're the one being prayed for. You're the wanderer, here again on a Sunday morning, under duress. Uh, trying not to pay attention to me. Put your phone down for a second and just listen. I want you to know that even though you don't love God, God loves you. He's crazy about you. And even though you've had all these reasons, whether it's from the conversations you've had with your friends at school or at work or whatever you've logged into online, you've got all these reasons not to believe in him, to doubt that he exists, and all the stuff that is so rampant in the world, he does exist, he's crazy about you. And he is just waiting for you to figure out what so many of us here have figured out, that life without him is not a life worth having. And he wants you to return. And when you do, he's not going to stand there and be like, well, I don't know. You were pretty bad. You said some pretty hurtful things about me, to me. I don't know. Well, that's not the attitude of our father. Jesus spoke of this often, this love that God has for us. He, as he preached, would just say, oh, please, would you just set aside all of your human efforts to make sense of this life and just fall on your face in worship of the God who made you. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My father loves you. I love you. Come to us by faith. Jesus tells these familiar stories in the gospel of Luke. Luke uh, lists them all in order. He's talking after uh, being uh, judged. Jesus is talking uh, to some Pharisees who said, he sits with sinners. He hangs out with the worst of our culture. And Jesus says, oh, you don't get it. That's why I'm here to express the love of God to those who need it most. He tells three stories in succession here in Luke 15. The first one's about a sheep, the second one's about a coin, and the third one's about a son. And in all of them, the sheep gets lost, the coin gets lost, the son gets really lost. And in each one, there's a, a God figure. I'll, I'll just tell you the sheep story, you probably know all three of them, but the, the sheep story goes like this. A shepherd has 100 sheep, 99 are in the barn at night, one is lost. And the shepherd doesn't say, cool, 99, it's still a lot of mutton, we're good. He says, no, I gotta find the one that's lost. And he goes out and he looks for the lost sheep. And upon finding him, he doesn't scold the sheep and put the sheep in time out and make him you know, uh, live apart from the rest of the sheep. He goes on Facebook and says, party, my house, found the sheep. And everybody joins this shepherd in rejoicing over the return of the one. And Jesus says to these Pharisees, they're like, tisk, tisk, he's hanging out with the worst. He says, God loves the worst. And when one of the worst makes it home, there's a party in heaven. It goes like this in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know what kicks it up in the heavens? Sinners returning home 
repentance happening in the lives of those who need it. So listen to me one more time. If you're the wanderer that people in your row are praying for, God loves you. He stands ready to forgive you and eagerly awaits your return to his fold. The heavens will rejoice on that day. So Israel returns. And here in our story, God rescues. God rescues. Look what it says in verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, Uh, The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Here's the scene. The Philistines have been the occupying force for over 20 years. They won all these battles. Go back to chapter 4. You can read about them. They had thoroughly trounced uh, the armies of Israel and, and for that time had reigned supreme over this region that Israel's now having this prayer meeting in. When it comes back to headquarters of the Philistine army that all of Israel has gathered in this one place, they're not thinking church service. They're immediately thinking insurrection. Those who are under our thumb are seeking to be out from under our thumb. And so they mobilize their armies. Like, we're not having this. We're not losing what we fought so hard to gain. And they send their armies against Israel. It says, when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. No kidding. I thought we were going to church this morning. Now we've got to fight the armies of the Philistines. They're not ready. Look at me. Hear me. Spiritual advancement in the direction of God will be met with opposition every time. We are surrounded by a world that is not for us. They're against us. Spiritually, we have an enemy. His name is uh, Satan. And his desire is for you to remain in the dark, in the doldrums, discouraged and uh, against the God who made you. And so when we start moving in God's directions, uh, just count on it. The enemy will come. Opposition will rise. And it's going to be scary. It's a scary thing. That's how our enemy wants it to be. Something that... uh, dissuades us, leads us away from the direction we've started in walking with God. Can I just give you from the text the the ways not to handle those scary moments and the ways to handle those scary moments? We've got to go back a few chapters to know how not to handle opposition. These same Philistines in chapter 4 start encroaching on Israeli territory here, right by the Mediterranean Sea, okay? And, uh, and, and so Israel runs out to meet them. If you were here for that last fall, uh, we talked about how Israel uh, just goes out and it has all the confidence in the world that they'll be victorious. This is their promised land. God had been with them when they, when they had conquered all the peoples in it. And to this point, you know, hadn't really struggled a whole lot to, to hang on to their turf. And so off they go to fight their battle and uh, they are thoroughly trounced. 4,000 men, it tells us, in chapter 4, verse 3, lose their lives in that first fight. And, and so the, the army regroups somewhere, you know, back behind the retreat lines. And, and the leaders, the elders of Israel say, how did this happen? We never lose fights. We're the Israelis. We, we win fights. And they put their heads together. And they're like, oh, can't believe it. We forgot the box. If you were here, you, you remember that Israel 
uh, under the behest of God, had been told to basically build a, a box, you know, two feet by three feet roughly, and inside it were relics of the, of the Israeli experience, the Jewish faith. And, and, and that box had preceded Israel in, in every fight that they had for the promised land. And it had, it had been the, the very presence of God for them uh, as they fought their battles. And, and so these Israeli elders who had been kind of just we can assume nominally keeping to their faith and, and being subjected to the leadership of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and others like them. Uh, it just kind of become dormant in their faith, but they knew this is how we won before. We got to get the box. And so they send to Shiloh in chapter four and Hophni and Phinehas bring the box. And if you were here, uh, did it help? No. The casualties were actually almost fourfold. They went from 4,000 lost to 37,000 in the next fight. And they were overrun by the Philistines, and it stayed that way for 20 years. That's how you uh, lose when opposition comes. You, you, first of all, you try to fight on your own. I don't need God. Uh, that's not going to work. You need to return. But can I just caution you real quick in that second iteration of the fight? Um, Israel thought that they could kind of play like they were with God and, and use him as kind of a, a lucky rabbit's foot uh, in their fight against the Philistines, even though they were far from them in their hearts. And, and it just doesn't work out. And, and that's, that's kind of my warning to those of us who are, you know, culturally Christian, thoroughly versed in how we should look and act as Christians, but still in our hearts. We know that we're far, far from God. Can I just give you an extra dose of warning? God is not cool with that at all. You can go all over the scriptures to see that, but he just doesn't like people playing with their allegiance to him. He, he speaks to a church, and in Revelation, there's a letter that goes out to seven different churches. In one of those letters, he, he calls out this church called the Church of Laodicea, and he says, you guys, <laughs> you make me so mad I want to puke. It's, it's in the Greek, right? But he says, you're neither hot nor cold. You look like a church, but you have nothing to do with me. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. God judges the fakers more than he judges the fallen. He doesn't want you to play the game. He wants you to give him your heart. In Acts chapter 19, one of my favorite stories in the Bible unfolds. Paul is walking around at this time in the history of the church, and he's being uh, blessed by God with the ability to heal at different times. And so as he's healing people, there's people watching this happen in the, in, in the streets of the cities that he's in. And uh, in, in these, this group of, of uh, basically exorcists, divinists, uh, they're called the sons of Sceva. They're kind of like a traveling troop of actual sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva, and they saw what Paul was able to do under the power of God, and they're like, well, it sounds like all he does is say in the name of Jesus, and he heals or casts demons out. Maybe that's what we need to do. And so they walk up to a guy who is literally possessed by a demon, and they say, in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus, come out, and the demon speaks to the sons of Sceva, and he says to them, well, we know Paul. We certainly know Jesus. We don't know you guys at all. And here's how it unfolds. That's one of my favorite stories to read. Uh, the demon-possessed guy, and you're like, we shouldn't be rooting him for him, right? No, we shouldn't normally. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he opens up a can on the sons of Sceva. 
And he just whoops them wherever they are in this room that they're in. And he sends them running naked out in the streets of the town that they're in. And you're like, why does Mark like that story so much? Because I'm weird. Sorry. It's just how I am. But it's also a stern warning that God cannot be played with. So when it comes to opposition, when it comes to the struggles of life, certainly don't go alone. Absolutely do not go as a poser who doesn't really believe in God but calls on his name anyway. James tells us to, when we lack wisdom, to pray, but when we pray, to ask believing, right? It's a condition, our submission. That's what we see happen here in this story. Uh, Israel has learned from its mistakes 20 or so years before, and here in this prayer service, as the Philistines are bearing down on them, the people of Israel turn to Samuel in verse 8, and they say, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. We're not gonna try to fight this one on our own. We're certainly not gonna try to fight it with some kind of trumped up, fake, posed following of God. Samuel, lead us in prayer in this our hour of need and help us to stay wholly submitted to God and what he can do to deliver us. That's what Samuel does. Can you picture this? Like the news has come, the armies of Philistine are heading this way. People don't scatter, they stay in church. Samuel, as, as the priest of Israel, does what the laws of Moses required. He, he takes an animal and sacrifices it in honor of God. In verse 9, it says that he took a nursing lamb and he offered up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And then he prayed, he cries out to the Lord for Israel. And, and then the Lord gets this the Lord answers right there. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack. But the Lord, it says, thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and he threw them into confusion. And from there they were defeated by these Israelites who had been at church but ended up on the warpath. Isn't that a great way to picture church? We're coming to church, we're worshiping God, and then we're going out to do the battles that God is preparing us for as he leads, right? That's what happened that day. God thunders from heaven. I don't picture clouds forming. I picture it as just these loud noises. This is kind of how battles would start, still is. Like, we're going to watch football today and tomorrow night, go Bucks. Um, but, you know, crowds gather and teams, you know, uh, meet each other on the field and their, their fan bases yell and scream their encouragements. It's to amp up and to uh, intimidate the opponent. If you remember the stories of Israel in the Battle of Jericho, they blew trumpets and broke lanterns and yelled with screams. And it was in those um, uh, efforts that God brought down walls. Well, noises have that effect. Anybody ever been startled by a loud noise? I was, uh, who went to Christmas Eve here? Anybody go to Christmas Eve? So the first song they played at Christmas Eve was Little Drummer Boy. There was nothing little about it. Uh, I was at practice that week as we were getting ready for that service. And if you weren't here, there's basically six drummers on the stage. And uh, they cranked the volume on our sound system to like way beyond its limits. 
and turn the lights out, and then the first thing that happens is this taka taka of these drums, right? And I'm at practice talking to everybody, everybody ready for Christmas, blah, 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 you know, not really paying attention, and all of a sudden those drums hit, and I leaped over that front row and, uh, and came up, you know, like this on the back side of it because it scared me to death. Who's been there? Loud noise, freak you out? Yeah. It's what happened here in the story of the Philistines. This loud noise comes from heaven. They can only attribute it to the God of Israel. It freaks them out. And Israel, it pumps them up and they run, it says, uh, and they chase after the Philistines. This is all in fulfillment of a prophecy that had been given by Samuel's mom herself, Hannah, in chapter two of this book. Hannah's praying at the, at the tabernacle in Shiloh as she's given up Samuel for the work of the Lord as a young boy. And she says this, she says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces under the leadership of my son. He says, against them God will thunder in heaven. She called the shot. And here it is. God sends the Philistines into a panic. And the men of Israel, verse 11, chapter 7, the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car or Bet Car, which means the house of Car. So a garage, I guess. But anyway, uh, I don't know if you've been here in life, but when the opposition comes, uh, our best move, our only move as followers of God is God help. God help. If you've gone through a loss in your family, like I know people have, and you don't know what to do with that. You can go around trying to fix things. It's not going to bring them back. You can go around trying to alter things. But, but your first move, your best move, your only move as a follower of God is this, God, I'm ill-equipped. I don't know how to do this. I don't feel comfort in and of myself. Help. Please deliver as only you can. God comes in these moments and he acts kind of like a father at the park with her, their child at the swing set. Has anybody ever gotten an underdog? You know what I'm talking about when I say underdog? Uh, you can sit there on a swing and pump your legs and get things moving as you want. Uh, but if you have someone like a dad who's super tall and super strong, uh, you can start screaming, as my kids used to, as we would enter some park from our car, uh, underdog, underdog. My kids would run to the swings to be the first one to get dad's underdog. And if you don't know what an underdog is, you just grab your kid's swings uh, chair and you just start rocking back and forth. And on the count of three, you run under them and push them up over the top of the bars and they start wrapping around like this. No, you don't do that, that's too much, that's too much. Don't do that, it's too much. But you know what I'm talking about, you get them going. They're swinging, there's no like lead up, warm up, it's just I'm flying and my legs are pumping and off I go. Now it's all screens. Where have the swing sets gone, right? But God gives a great underdog. He'll get the ball rolling in your defense. And note, note here that the victory came as a result of God's thunder and Israel's pursuit. Your part needs to be played, right? Don't just sit there and wait for God to keep thundering and, and do all the work for you. Join him in the battle. Join him in the things that you can do. But he gives a great underdog. Pray to him. Ask him for what only he can give. Had a tough meeting this week with some dear people and 
prayed, 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 prayed that that would be a good meeting, and it was, and God gave us this great underdog as one person involved, confessed and repented of the things that had gone wrong in that circle. And then one by one, they all joined in, and, and God brought unity back to what had been fractured. Why? Because people sought God, prayed to him for solution. He gave it, and they followed him in it. Uh, a dear family, a guy that works at our church, their daughter died this past Tuesday night. And she'd fought against uh, cancer in her brain for some 15 months. We'd prayed for God's deliverance over and over again. Um, it's not in God's will for that to happen, but now we're in this stage of mourning. And they came to church last night. We stood in the front after everybody was gone. We smiled where we could. We rejoiced over the life that we got to share. And then we prayed, just said, hey God, keep us going. It's gonna be a long, hard road. But you thunder and we'll follow. Grant us that grace. The story goes on, I don't have time to preach it all. <laughs> that happens a lot, doesn't it? But Samuel, as his, one of his last acts in this story, the Philistines are defeated, the children, are restored. Israel has returned. God has rescued. Samuel says, hey, you know what? Let's pause for a second. Let's remember. It's, it says in, in verse 12 that he, he takes a stone. I don't know how big it was, big enough. And, and he sets it up uh, between Mitzpah and this other town called Shen. And he called it Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that, it's a compound word. It means stone of help. Or I like this even better, my helper who is a rock. But either way, it's this picture of what God has done in the story of Israel and his, his deliverance of them from the Philistines. And he says, guys, uh, we're going to set this up so that future generations, when they come this way, they'll remember what God has done. And, and, and why is that important? Why is it good for you to have a journal that you keep of the memories of God's victory in your life? Why is it so important that when you get together as a life group, you recall the ways that God has delivered in each other's lives. Why is that so important? Because there's going to be more opposition in our future, and we need to remember what God has done in our past so that we expect him and look forward to him meeting us in the problems of our future. Are you with me? If there's something that I could cure, if God would give me the grace to cure something in Christianity, it would be the spiritual amnesia that we so often suffer from. We forget what we know. We get overwhelmed by our situations and we get lost. And what we need are these Ebenezers, these stones of reminder, these records. That, hey, God has done it before. I think we sing a song about that. I've seen you move. You move a mountain, and I believe that you can do it again. I've trusted you before, I'll trust you now. And I'll trust you in the future. God, you thunder, and I'll follow. So now, as we finish up our time together, may all of us go home. And like Samuel, may we play, pray for a wayward Israel, whoever that is in our lives. May we have the courage where God prompts to say what needs to be said to those people who need to return to the God that they're not following now. If that's you, and by the way, if it's not now, it eventually will be. 
But if that's you, know that God loves you and he can't wait to see you again. And he's just waiting for you to return. He sees you all the time, but you get my point. When opposition arises, may God rescue us. May our first move be prayer to him. And then as he thunders, may we follow. And then when he does rescue, as he so often does, may we remember, knowing that he's done it before, he'll do it again.